Hello everyone in the big wide world and it's the new year, it's February, January's already gone, it's time to move on, things are happening at a fast pace and I'm sure if you're looking for a job in the architecture market you know that it's so 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 much is going on and perhaps if you're the client you've realized that the situation's also changed and finding people can be really difficult. Well I'm joined here today by some colleagues, I guess you could say colleagues, fellow recruiters, fellow professionals in the field, and we're gonna have an open, frank, honest conversation about the current market, as well as learn about what they're up to as well. So on that note, I'm gonna do a little introduction. So I'm joined here virtually, I think it'll be this side when I edit it, with Hannah Brooke, and Hannah is currently on Renacy, have I said that correctly, yes. Renacy? Um, very, very, I like the name. I like the name Renacy. And I'm also joined here by Marwa Aziz, who is at Aegis. And have I said that right as well? Oh, it's I Aegis. almost said it. It's Aegis. Okay. Damn, damn. We'll change it. We'll change it. Stephen seems like you don't like no, it. We'll I love it. it. I love it. I'm the one that needs to change and adapt. And so it's great to have you here. Perhaps, Hannah, you can tell us a little bit about what you currently do and how you're involved in architectural recruitment. Absolutely. So um, like you said, I work for Renacy and Renacy is a social enterprise. So we're, we're based in Hackney um, and we do all sorts of amazing stuff, but it's the mission or the vision is all about creating the conditions for communities to thrive. And so employment is a massive part of that. And so I run their transitions employment service, which amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I love it. And I was going to just do a little virtual clap there. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I can that. hear that. That's but great. Like, so, so it's a social enterprise. And we'll make this distinction just before we go in, because I've actually worked. I know I used, I used to be a part two in the industry and I've worked with architecture practices hiring. But in terms of recruitment, I've always been in the private sector. Now, Hannah, a social enterprise, that's a little bit different, right, than the companies I've worked with. So do you want to kind of just unpack that little bit of information for us? Absolutely. So so the service that, that, we, that I run, uh, Transitions, is all about restarting the careers of refugee professionals. And that obviously includes okay. um, architects and, and, and kind of professionals in the built environment. And so the, the way a social enterprise works is that we've kind of got an asset lock in terms of our purpose, our mission. Any any money we make over and above our costs is reinvested in achieving our social mission. And in this case, it's about um, ensuring that those that are furthest from the market or underrepresented in the market, um, you know, that we change that essentially and we get people uh, and talent into the jobs that they should be in. Love it. Absolutely. That's really, really useful. And I think quite a noble cause because having worked in recruitment for quite some time there's always that difficult transition period and I guess that's where your title actually fits in really well where actually people with different situations maybe they've worked in done amazing architecture in different countries come to the UK it's not it's not that easy to get a job in architecture in the UK in my experience and that kind of that point in between is incredibly stressful so what I would say Hannah is we're going to hold on to that thought but I don't want to be a rude host here and I don't know if you can still see me because my computers have been playing up a little bit but it's I think we're all here we're going to keep going but Marwa do you want to tell Tell us a little bit about what your role is and if how you work with Hannah and and I'd love to know a little bit about what you currently do at the moment. Oh, okay. So um, I am um, an urban designer and I have an architecture background. So ah. I worked as an architect for plus ten years back home in Yemen, and I came to do my. Um, master's degree in in the UK. I'm achieving scholar, so I came on a scholarship. Um, I graduated with distinction and and then I started searching for a job. And 
I thought at the beginning it was going to yeah. be an easy thing to do, but unfortunately, I I realized that um, there was a lot of things yeah. that I had to to face. Uh, how I met Hannah was through um, Renacy. So I had joined Renacy uh, working as an employment uh, advisor because I was searching for a job, and and I kind of like could not really find my suitable job in 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 the field and I I, I was working at Renacy and joined the transitions Excellent. model and uh, and yeah through transitions um I I joined Amazing. Wow, well, look. And I'm currently working as an urban designer finally in my field for the past almost Well seven, done. Six you got to I wanted to squeeze in another clap for you there. And, and it is absolutely brutal, isn't it, making that transition at the start. And I think that um, while the opportunity is always there, and I've seen lots and lots of people, talented people like yourself, get the role in the UK, there's like a few months where you're like fighting almost for it. And it, and it can feel lonely. It can feel stressful. And I imagine at the time uh, when you were doing the search Sometimes you speak to recruiters and it's quite, people try to help, they don't really have enough time and you're kind of in between and you're not really sure you're getting all the answers from employers. And did you find yourself hitting that brick wall initially then? I mean, yeah, I think um, after six months of searching, I realized that I must have been doing something yeah. incorrect because... I was always hit by the wall, as yeah. you said. Um, and at times when I was successful to get an interview, I still was not able to to secure the job, even even though at times I thought I nailed it in the interview. Like I'll, I would get feedback from the employer saying, um, okay, you've done great, but unfortunately you lack the uh, couple of years right. experience in the country. And it was kind of, a yeah. dilemma I'm like okay and how am I supposed to get that couple of years experience if I'm not working and but I have experience from overseas like yes. I am an architect and they would say no that's disregarded and I'm like okay so and and unfortunately at a point I was already kind of applying for entry-level jobs and and I still was not able to secure wow. a job because I was considered overqualified and then when I applied for the jobs that are suitable for me, I was told that I'm underqualified. Ugh. And it was kind of very, very stressful because honestly speaking, like after I graduated with distinction, I was like, okay, so I've got a master's degree from this country. I speak three languages. I've got 10 yeah. years experience. I think I'm a great add to any company. So I thought that it would just take me six months to secure a job in my field. Unfortunately, I, that yeah. was not the case. And even though I went to networking events and I kind of tried as much as I could to break all these barriers in a way or another, but I would say that for overseas uh, refugees in particular is just um i mean we just have other layers of of barriers and 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 difficulties for example the fact that our degrees in architecture are not recognized in the uk um we can be for example um uh, professional architects that have been working for 10 years but that is not yeah. you know um um, recognized in the UK. So all that was just extra, I don't know, extra yeah, barriers well, for us. bless you. Well, look, you came out fighting spirit and I get to use my like fighting noises. So you kind of like, you broke through it, right? And you did it. And so what I think if anyone's going to take away anything from this podcast, and if you are in that um, difficult situation of looking is that I do think if you keep going, um, you will get there. And it is a shame it's that difficult. And I have seen people in that position. So first of all, well done. Proud that you got there. And um, that's maybe what we can do together as a, as a, as a team here is we can, and I think for what would be awesome to do is to establish those barriers. And I'll, I'll tell you a few that I've seen, and maybe Hannah, you can, you can give me your insight as well, Marwa, because there's probably people listening. And if they 
cure those barriers. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm feeling. Maybe they aren't feeling so alone. So I think the first barrier that I see the most, which is exactly as you hit the nail on the head, is the catch-22 of you need UK regulations. Ah, uh, you know, you need UK regulations. So it's chicken and egg because to to get the job, you need the UK regulations because that's what they're looking for. But you're also very transparent. You don't really have those. And then that's kind of like this uh, self perpetuating barrier isn't it it's like well you don't understand uk building regulations and i think that and one of the ways that i've seen around this barrier is that there's some architecture practices and urban designers and other companies which do maybe overseas work and that can be a nice transition and especially if you speak different languages and you understand different cultures that can be advantageous so some examples will be companies I know like WATG, which do, you know, beautiful hotels overseas. But then also what I've seen some success with as well is speaking to employers in REBA stages, but you perhaps maybe you haven't necessarily done the UK, the work in the UK. So that kind of shows that you're familiar with and uh, what the REBA work stages are, you understand that you're familiar with the culture, and that will go a little bit to debunk this uh, nagging thing in the interviewer's head of, oh my gosh, no UK building regulations. But I mean, Hannah, do you want to chip in on that, or Marwa as well? Is there any thoughts around that subject? Hannah, perhaps you've seen people who have experienced this, clients and stuff. I mean, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Marwa talked eloquently there about a number of barriers and, and you're absolutely right. And in terms of the advice you've given around overcoming that particular barrier, I think that's spot on. Um, something that we've been developing and doing more of is mentoring as well. So we're connecting Great. individuals to people in their fields where they can absolutely advise on those ah, steps cool. that you take exactly to get accreditation to, you know, to join a, a particular membership, probably like RIBA, etc. So, um, yeah, we we'd definitely see that as a way of overcoming that. I think the issue is then that, um, and I'm sure this will this will resonate, but as the kind of job search goes on and it's unsuccessful, um, so our candidates in right. particular, I guess it, it for early stage kind of um, individuals that are kind of born in the UK, it, it's the same, but but for our guys, it's the career gap gets longer. And the longer it gets, uh, that in itself becomes a barrier. And the nag, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been out of work for a while. Yeah. Will that be seen as a negative? And um, absolutely, yeah, be, absolutely. And, and yeah. I think you know, it. It. Um. I mean, again, for our candidates, you know, it's through no fault of their own. So sometimes the, the you know, the forcible relocation ha has impacted on that career, obviously. And then yeah. the asylum process it takes. So actually applying to get permission to work can take years now in a sort of post-pandemic world. So so um. So you've got a situation where you're you're not working in your field. Um. Suddenly those kind of those skills in terms of the latest software, you know, you're not going to have access to that necessarily. And 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 Marwa, you can probably yeah. speak about that in a bit mm -hmm. more detail. But yeah, yeah, we see that as a, as a big issue. Very interesting. I mean, Marwa, is there anything around that point of the barriers that you'd like to expand upon? Um, actually, um, I'd like to just uh, just expand uh, expand on the uh, building regulations yeah, point that you mentioned, do. Stephen. I think I think I mean I mean I've I've taken kind of like a different path because I, I did sustainable right. urban design in my um, in my uh, masters and I wanted to pursue an urban design uh, career, but in the end, regarding building regulations uh, or or learning about planning yeah. policies or as an as an architect, I have the capability to understand mm. these building regulations, and it's just easier for us to, you know, um, learn these things quite quickly. And um, it, you can see that in fresh um, in fresh graduates when they when they kind of graduate from architecture, they're able to understand these these uh, things, and it's not it's not rocket science. So I'm just trying to say that in the industry, when uh, overseas professionals are seen as people who are not, um, yeah. you know, familiar with building regulations, but they can be familiar quite quickly. Like I've, I've started kind of, you know, um, learning about the national planning policy. I understand the compendium I, I know how to use or how to refer to SQL, how to refer to BRIAM, because these things are things that I've learned and they're things that I've also self-educated in. Uh, regarding software, for example, we use back home Autodesk, we use AutoCAD, uh, Photoshop, SketchUp. I, I had worked on these um, softwares all my life, but 
in the UK, people more use Revit. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't have that on my CV always made it seem like, oh, okay, now you don't have Revit. You cannot really work um, on, on projects. And I joined Aegis and I had a training literally like Amazing. a week ago. And I'm now I'm working on 3D projects on Revit. So I'm, I'm learning as I go. Because I'm an architect, I understand these things. You know, it's when 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 you're not an architect, okay, you can be told oh, it's hard for you to learn a software, it's hard for you to understand national policy. But when you're an architect, then you already have that mindset. So I'm just trying to say that it is so unfortunate that so many people are being forced away from yeah. the industry just because they have different uh, credentials or different certificates or different, you know, uh, experiences. I think it is quite important to include all these people because they will contribute to the society. They will contribute to the industry. They will contribute with, with everything that they know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they will learn quite quickly and integrate. So, I think uh, yeah. well said, to be honest. I just noticed, like, I... Uh, the, my light here, I've got no control of the light. So it looks like I've got the holy light come down. But as long as you guys don't mind, I don't mind too. And look, well said. And I, I think that there's a number of things going. It's it's interesting. It's like it's getting the employer to get past these nervousnesses that, that pop there, which on one um, sense I can understand as an employer, you would you would be conscious of these issues. But at the same time, as you quite rightly pointed out, Marwa, you've done this before in another professional capacity. So there's no reason why after a little investment, you can't do it again. And then you unlock that person's talent and that can be used. And why would you not want people from different cultures, people, you know, different diversities, different ethnicities that kind of adds in the greater scheme to the, to the strength of the office. So it's like going around that. And what I quite like about this scheme and what I quite like about as well, what you're doing, Hannah, is that you're actually patient enough to go through this and i think that what it might be worth talking about is i think that the current status of recruitment and while we were just talking about before the podcast i was talking quite candidly about recruitment is that sometimes i think that one of the misconceptions i see is that you'll have a fantastic um, architect who's just come to the UK and looking for a job. And their natural reaction is to speak to a, a recruitment com a consultant. And I think 99.9% .9 of the time, the recruitment consultant is the person that's probably not going to be able to help them. I know it's slightly different with what you do, Anna, but in a private recruitment company, um, I'd normally get like a, a brief from a client to find a hard set of skills so at another company so typically it might be trying to find a bin manager to work in the current role as a bin manager who's maybe been a bin coordinator or a bin manager at a company or it could be that i'm looking for an architect who's just worked on hotels and what happens is loads of people ring up the recruitment consultant and they don't really have the time to deal with um the current person's um situation and they they i wear it could be a combination of things of outer politeness or they don't really want to say oh i can't really help you right now and what happens is is that i think that people call up recruitment consultants typically before these kind of ent social enterprises and they don't really get the guidance that's needed and then you kind of the the candidate who's looking for a job feels a bit unsupported and lonely and really they've kind of got to go out there and fight and approach companies direct so did you have that experience initially when speaking to recruitment consultants uh mawa i did actually um i think it was it was for me the fact that i um every every party that i i I try to kind of apply yep. for jobs through ask me to go back to the other party, if it makes sense. Like I applied in the public sector that was told, <laughs> okay, we really cannot hire you. You need to go to the private sector. And then I start I start I started applying in the private sector and I was kind of asked to maybe uh, seek the help of recruitment agencies. And then when I did Recruitment agencies told me, oh, you know, I mean, I think we I can't, can't really yeah. support you because you don't have the couple of years experience again. And it just seemed like I was yeah, in this. 
Yeah, I was I was in this fair all alone trying to understand like okay, so how does anybody work yeah. in this country? <laughs> and at a point, I even started kind of like doubting the fact that I can work in the UK. I'm like, maybe they they're doing something like you know extraordinary in this country that I cannot do. And that's why you rightly said recruitment um, uh, agencies are not ideal for people with. Um, you know, a set yeah. of barriers because you need, um, um, let's say, a career advisor, yeah. uh, someone who is able to kind of understand what you need and what the market needs and, and liaises between both of you, yeah. if it makes both sides, yeah. if it makes sense. Like what public practice is doing at the moment because public practice as an organization understands that there's a lack of uh, designers in the in, in the public sector and there's a need for designers and and they're liaising between finding those designers and bringing them to the uh, uh, public sector for the good of of, yeah. of urban design and and, and regeneration uh, projects and so on so that's it we 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 needed I I personally for example uh, learned two tips from Hannah in terms of changing my uh, mm. CV format. It was not correct. I It was meant to be, um, it was kind of like the format used in the in the Middle East. And that's why I was not always getting, yeah. you know, to interview stages. And in interviews, for example, I come from a culture where we say we. So we did this and this and this in this project. So whenever I'm asked a question, I wasn't always able to talk about I or talk about right. myself. So I, even though I was uh, I was leading a team in, in doing something, I would say we achieved this. And that's not really interpreted in the cor- correct way here in the UK. Here, you really have to kind of focus on what you've done in particular in that, you know, in that scenario and how did you contribute and how did you yeah. do things so tips like these we don't get to find them we don't we don't find people to tell us okay this is what you have to do and i i, I believe it is quite important to <clears throat> maybe not necessarily uh, only have social enterprises that uh, support uh, overseas professionals but maybe create an app where someone can go and just find all these simple answers to 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 get to the uk market instead of for example for example i had to work in translation for almost eight months and and i worked as a social i mean which was a very good thing because now i understand the market as, a, as an employment advisor but what i'm saying is like i had to spend a year and eight months after graduation working away from architecture which also influenced me indirectly because i was away from my profession mm, very well said look you covered so much there and, and it resonates with me and um that's that's the truth because I have predominantly in terms of recruitment recruitment mainly worked in the private sector and then I got put on furlough oh what during um February 2020 you know the start of the pandemic you know so I was at home and uh because I worked in architecture like you that's where I set up the architecture so www.architecturesocial.com and it was like my way of trying to get involved keep my brain active and try to instill some of the lessons i've learned so that candidates who are students and even architects and you know like talented overseas architects just trying to get some of the lessons out there but even now i i, I try to do content there but i also now i try to be very transparent with people that when i'm recruiting especially in the private sector look i don't always have part one or part two jobs and i always try to say check out some of the content that i've done but also you know you need to search and crack on with that search and you need to get involved and start learning from each other as well. So it can be, um, I'm tr- trying to unpick all that information I think is super valuable and I've enjoyed, I enjoyed it. And that's probably a nice segue Hannah to the, how we met because I did a podcast, which I think was, um, I was on the business of architecture and I was talking about, um, disrupting recruitment or kind of the old status quo and the, the, the bound, uh, the boundaries that, as a recruitment consultant you get and and also as a candidate what you experience as well hannah but so let's maybe dive into a little bit about about that so compared to what i do mm. 
the social enterprise aspect is a little bit different, isn't it? So what would be the typical roles that you work on a day-to-day, Hannah? And maybe you can say how that's how you met Marwa and yeah. tell us and walk us through that process. I mean, my, my specific remit is actually um, employer engagement. So I'm, so, you know, um, I mean, we exist, as I said, to open doors for talent like Marwa. You've, you've heard from her, her experience, et cetera. Um, yeah. But we also are there to kind of... Um, educate employers about inclusive recruitment, about the benefits of all the stuff, again, that Ma was talked about, like diversity of thought, you know, this untapped talent pool, um, all the benefits that can bring yeah. to the sector in the UK and help it to thrive. And um, I say educate, you know, sometimes we get amazing, passionate advocates coming to us, you know, and progressive employers, and it's a delight working with them. But, you know, there's a whole spectrum there. And it's really, um, so, so in terms of the talent portfolio I've got, actually, we've got engineers, we've also got tech talent. So we have a kind of um, portfolio of, of, of um, candidates that we work across different sectors. And um, I think it's, yeah, it, you know, going back to the conversation, it's about we see the potential in them. It's about transferable skills. It's about having those conversations with employers. And what we do is we have a, like a returner placement model. So in its purest form, we will have a um, broker with an employer that six month period. And they, you know, it might be the probation period. It might be a fixed term contract. But in essence, it's allowing someone to come in who may not have worked for a period of time because of that career gap. It's allowing someone okay, who cool. hasn't maybe worked in the UK before that just needs to orientate themselves in the UK. It's a different culture. It's a different way of working. And it's all being compounded by the pandemic right you know where you're being onboarded virtually all of that is like makes it so much harder when you haven't worked here in the uk before um and so so yeah so then you've got that that individual's got six months really to to find their feet and kind of you know show the employer the value they can bring to that organization and vice versa um and it's model works really well at the end of that period you know we've had last year 100 percent of our candidates going on to be offered uh, permanent contracts um at that point in time or, or from the outset 100 percent. well <laughs> that speaks for itself doesn't it it's like it kind of works mm. no and we're kind of seeing it here in the full circle the fact that ma was um being a candidate in the process mm. and I think that that's really encouraging. And I think there's a place for that. And that's why I was super happy to have this conversation because I think that even between recruitment consultants is so short-sighted with this whole competition. Mm. You know, like in theory, we're competing with each other. And I think that's as well, unfortunately, one of the, the, the fragmented parts of our industry, Hannah, is that there's this element of, oh my gosh, we're competing with each other. We shouldn't exchange information. We shouldn't share information about candidates looking for jobs. We shouldn't do that because you would do that with your own team, but why would you do it with someone else? And I just think like that's so short-sighted and then, and not giving information is, or helping out is also short-sighted. Sometimes like I, I can speak to a part one or part two. I try to give advice where I mm. can and I might work with them years later. So that actually benefits me in a way as well. So there's lots of reasons why you should go out of the way and help people. And I love that your scheme is kind of flexible in that way where it kind of is extra supportive during the start. Because I imagine in the client's head, it's more that initial reassurance. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, this scheme is helped and provided that this person works hard and you're happy with it, then they continue. Have you found that what people, sometimes clients are nervous at the start, Hannah, but when they, when they, they learn about the scheme and what you do, they're actually um, pleasantly surprised with the low drop, with the zero dropout rate and everything. Absolutely. You know, and, and often we'll start from a sort of pilot perspective, you know, we get one or two individuals in and, um, and then that changes yeah. people's minds. You, you know how it works. You know, they just realize that you know, a refugee architect is another person with another experience, with a, with another set of skills that they're bringing to that organization. It's as simple as that. You know, I think um, sometimes employers can go into panic mode a little bit thinking that it's a kind of, very specific program um and it's not it's people-led it's person-led um and when when an employer operates like that it fits really well so mm. Mm. well that, that's it yeah that what's really interesting about this is that sometimes uh, in terms and this is just my raw thoughts and i mm. can't prove this it's all anecdotally but what's interesting is like cvs and portfolios and covering letters and all that stuff it's presenting logical information. And, and if you can get an emotional catch, then that's where people invite 
um, that's where a hiring manager will invite someone in for an interview. And what I mean by this is it's so interesting that I think people logically um, withdraw candidates which are useful at the start. So what I mean by this, they they over-worry once they see a CV and portfolio and go, oh my gosh, there's no UK regulations. Maybe this person doesn't have the Revit yet. And they logically rule them out. But if they met this person on an emotional yeah. level, on a human level, they kind of believe that this person can do the job. So what I quite like about your system is it's saying to people like, look, I will help you out with your logical worries, but let's see if you will like that person. Let's see if you believe that they're the right kind of fit culturally the right kind of fit emotionally, their ability to do the job. And if you believe that they can do it, then we'll support you. Absolutely. So, that, I mean, yeah, I mean, you put it so beautifully. Does it make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does, totally. Like my raw... It does. And, and, and okay, in fact... I'm not, I'm not going you crazy haven't, No, no, you've hit the nail on the head. So okay, good. It, you know, I always am at pains to emphasize, and more I've said this before, but, you know, we we are a social enterprise, not a charity. Our candidates are our talent. They're not beneficiaries. You know, it's about meeting a business need. We, we plug your skills gaps. We're providing you with talent. We're supporting you in your kind of diversity and inclusion aims, you know, with your social value. We, there are all of those business benefits, but it's not about just doing the right thing albeit it is just doing the right thing, you know. So there is a kind of responsible business case there, but it absolutely makes sense on a kind of bottom line, triple bottom line, whatever way you want to kind of refer to it. So, yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, and I love it. I'll give you another clap because I think it's so important. Now, I need to learn as well on this podcast and we can learn live. And if I embarrass myself, it's okay because it's my podcast. Um, I'll be responsible for embarrassing myself. So, um, so the architecture social is, uh, it's, it's my own private company and, and recruitment pays the bills. It keeps the servers on. It pays for my monthly outgoing costs. I enjoy recruitment, but I, I'm upfront about what roles I'm working on. And I try to do a lot of group work and mentoring on, on the community. So I'm a private business, which does, um, I don't know, social staff. But what is the difference between a, a real social enterprise compared to what I do in the architecture social so I can distinguish and I understand what, what you mean when you say a social enterprise. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, if, if it was just reflected in your in your, um, in your your deed, as it were, you know, in, in, in how you set up your company, that you have a social purpose, that's pretty much it. As long as there's sort of an element. Oh, I have a bit of there that. There you go. It, oh, okay, I'm getting there. It's a, it's, 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 oh, I'm getting there. The... I'm learning. I'm, I'm not like a... Uh, you know, um, oh, ooh, no, so, I'm not going to say any names of other companies, but uh, no. So Renacy, Renacy is okay. a limited company, but it's as I said, it's written in in our kind of um, I've forgotten the word, which is why I'm struggling here. Um, anyway, but it's it's written into the the makeup of the business that like the pact, the agenda, the narrative. Yeah, I had I had a mentoring session with because um, I work quite a lot with Acra Larry, do they were into talent and. And Acro Larry's an architecture practice, and it was all about the purpose, the meaning, and it got drilled into me. It's like, what's the purpose of the architecture social? And I was like thinking for ages about all the features and benefits, you know, like it's a forum, it's this and that. And kept uh, Oliver kept going, and it was really useful. Kept going, it's like, no, but tell, well, that's fine, you got a forum, but why is it here? And then I was like, uh, and he's like, just tell me what you think. And I was like, well, it's because job seeking in architectures. Um, uh, terrible and stressful and annoying and frustrating. And if I can make it less stressful, that's his purpose. And he was like, that's a purpose. And I was like, yes. I was like, and that's what yeah. I believe in because it is so difficult getting a job and, and most nine times out of 10. And especially when you're someone that's moved from a country where you're comfortable in your situation, you move for whatever reason, right? But you you remove yourself from one physical environment to another, which is different cultures, different values, and you can add an advantage there. But that doing that transition is extremely stressful. And what I like about what you do, Hannah, is that, and I'm learning from you as well, you know, it's all about we're all learning from <laughs> each other it's helping that transition is so important and i think and i would argue that it's one of the most stressful period in a lot of talented professionals careers i think yeah absolutely absolutely um, and and it, you know i think the the impact it can have on an individual's confidence is probably underestimated yes. you know um Again, you know, I've seen I've seen some people kind of. Um, I mean, I did this morning just before you. I did CV and portfolio sessions in Bill Studios, so I did that. And that was kind of like my 
my social purpose mm. thingy of the week. It's like, right, I'm going to do that. And one lady hadn't worked in our, um, hadn't worked in interior design for um, a few years. It's like, oh, I'm not sure if I can go back to it. I'm like, of course you can go back to it, but it is going to be tough. And but you can do it. And but everyone can go back to it. And that period of time, the one thing I'd like to add. Um, before we kind of have a bit of fun and you can ask me questions, you can do whatever you want and we have a bit of fun with it. But the one thing I'd like to throw out there is that sometimes I see people really worry about, like, for example, quite rightly, sponsorship and visas can be difficult. Employers get thrown off. And I've seen some people not mention it on the CV. And I almost kind of think that you should mention it quite early in the process because there's nothing worse than going all the way down the process and you feel in like you're hiding something. And then, the, you know, the, the, and then you mention it. I've seen some people mention it right at the end. They have a great interview and they go, oh, by the way, I need sponsorship. And then uh, the company kind of freaks out because they don't understand the situation. Yeah. And and, th and that's the biggest thing. It's like a lack of understanding. Yeah. And then actually, because especially now with the skilled workers, it's, it's actually, I mean, it's not as hard as possible. But if I, I always say to candidates, if you say, look, I need um, this and this and that on the skilled work arrangement, and it's very simple process, and I know exactly how to do it, and I have a solicitor in place, and if you come and meet me and we have a good conversation, don't worry about that. I'm prepared to go through it with you, then that kind of debunks the issue straight away. And I think that then going through the process, you take the elephant out of the room, you know, and I yeah. think that psychologically that is less stressful than constantly going through the process and worrying about at the end, like a little secret, you know, which it shouldn't be. No, totally. I mean, totally. I mean just on that point, because I, I mean, it's probably worth saying, but like one of the, the light bulb moments we have with a lot of practices and a lot of employers is um, when they realize that our talent is already resident in the UK with permission to work, right? We, we, they don't need visas. They don't need to go through that sponsorship process. And, um, and yeah, I think often yeah. people think refugee status, that's what's required. And actually, you know, Brexit and other um, events have kind of precipitated that more with kind of other overseas talent, right? And I absolutely hear you. Yeah. And I, I would agree with you with that advice that you're giving them that it's, it's, it's key to get that out and upfront. And um, in a way that's, you know, just almost like a, just a fact and then moving on and this is me exactly it. exactly but um but for our yeah. guys yeah resident in the uk got permission to work good to go that makes makes complete sense well we we'll have a bit of fun now because normally the interview is always one way i get to ask all these questions and you know everyone worries about it now um do you we can have a bit we can talk like there's a few things you can mention one or two things that you're passionate about, but also um, maybe you have some questions for me as well. I mean, Hannah, just to jump off and then Marwa, you can kind of like see what you, you fancy, see if you can catch me out. Oh, I'm only joking, but you can ask me anything as well. Hannah, from one recruitment colleague to another, is there anything you'd like me to ask or unpack live? Um. Yes, because I've only really been working in this space since what January a year ago. So um, pretty much all of it, Stephen. You know, I, I'm very dog, grateful. Dog years in the recruitment, <laughs> Anna. Don't worry, you're a season pro now. Um, no, I, I, I think you know. Um, your, your platform is amazing. I, I've shared it with our, our candidates. It's oh, a great resource. Um, you know, I, I'm regularly dialing in for the, um, the, the little gems. So thank you. Um, and and I, I, I mean, I loved your point earlier just about collaboration. I, I would love to see that more in, in the sector I work in where you've got actually small, you know, charitable or social organizations working to make, um, to make employers' practices more inclusive across the piece, right? Across the, all the protected characteristics and beyond. Uh, and yet there's kind of often, um, you know, some, it's not rivalry is the wrong word, you know, but it's almost like people are competing for airtime and space totally. and priorities. And I feel that both employers and those organizations need to understand that, you know, inclusion isn't about hitting one or two. It's it's doing it across the board. And yes, I appreciate there are steps and, you know, um, and that type of thing. But I think as, as recruitment um 
specialists or you know agencies we we can just just help um feed into that we can we can share ways about doing it and we can you know building people is a great platform that i'm a part of um that's for people in the built oh, environment not familiar. um a look at if it. you're not i'm absolutely gonna gonna loop you into that you know but again Please. so lots of organizations sitting behind working with different groups from veterans to refugees to you name Ooh. it um and and they're for employers and practices to kind of go and, and investigate and have kind of um wholesale solutions I, I i feel like sometimes we're a bit itty bitty and and i guess my question for you is you know um obviously engaging with us through this conversation um i'm going to turn it back on you what are you going to take away what are you going to do differently wow Sorry. first thing is i'm going to do research <laughs> on buildingpeople.org.uk a little shower to them because it looks looks quite cool i think um a few i would would be really interested in continuing to debunk employers worries about skilled workers and so forth i think what would be cool is if there, there was an area that like um employers can go for quick asset access how to deal with that situation because i had it recently with a company where they just didn't know what to do mm. and it wasn't a case of um they were unable to do it they just needed the point in the right direction so maybe hannah there's this bit of space there that we can do because that's, that's a point i think because the arctic's are social i've been designing it a lot for the job seeker but i think the next mission is also for the hiring manager because in turn that um that loop where more and more in, information we can hopefully debunk the barriers because in a lot in this conversation that we've had is about people that have been in that transition and uh, uh, talking about there's barriers there and ways to overcome them. But the ultimate way would be to remove the barriers with the employers because they, we educate them Absolutely. in the, either the advantages or, or how to go around the problems. Because, you know, like getting the skilled worker license is 500 pound it means that you can hire lots of amazing people mm. but it takes two months i think and you can speed it up i believe to like five or six months but in my experience what happens is everyone wants someone to start as soon as possible mm. right and they go well we can't do a skill workers thing now steve because you need to find someone immediate and maybe we'll consider that and i think it's like that saying of a stitch in time says nine, you know, if we can kind of get people to get these like admin bits out of the way, then it might actually um, help the process. I mean, does that give you an idea of what I'm thinking? And I'm always open no, it, for it, it does definitely. And um, I would I just, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's kind of almost up until the point of employment. And, and I was just reflecting, I probably didn't share enough about our model, but we, we provide in-work support for those six months. We're kind of there in the background and we have like three-way conversations with the employer Good. as required. And I just wondered whether you, you think that that's ever a kind of commercial model, you know, for especially where you're placing kind of, um, you know, part ones, yeah. et cetera, whether that, that would work for you as well. Because I think there's something in, in ensuring people thrive. It's not just getting them through the door, isn't it? It's about um, thriving. In, in an organization yeah. yeah i'm open to it i think um i'd need a bit of educating on how that um that scheme works because i'm familiar with the old school model um which kind of has some perks but also is somewhat flawed you know percentages of people starting rebate periods and all this stuff behind the scenes and i think that's important to mention um just before we move on from it is that People always understand that recruitment services are there, but they don't understand often how it gets paid. Mm. And I think that we have to acknowledge how recruitment consultants get paid because that's how they exist. And the way they get paid is that they get paid thousands of pounds, which sounds incredibly a lot of money for introductions when the person passes typically their three month probation. And you have what's like uh, the equivalent of a warranty period, which sounds awful because people in their careers, but there is this sliding scale of how much money is owed back. And at first, when you hear it, you're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And that sounds awful and all this stuff. But actually it's like, it's incredibly expensive running a recruitment business and um, people can change their minds and there's overheads and all this stuff. But once you accept how the model is um, monetized and you realize the constraints of that, I think then when you're a job seeker, especially at the start, you go, well, ah, 
um, companies are not going to pay Steve for me to be introduced because I could apply direct. And I think that's okay too. So I think that what you're talking about, Hannah, the new model, that reassurance, I'm up for it. I'm always open to it. Do I think recruitment needs to change? Yes. Do I think it can be disrupted? Yes. Do I think my role in the architecture social will help that? Potentially. Um, we'll see. Um, but sometimes as well, it's not just about me. It's about the client. And ultimately, I can educate the client as much as possible, but they have to participate. Absolutely. And if they don't, they, they are the buyer. Mm. Really, in terms of recruitment, while the candidate, it's their career, it's narrative, and it's a people process, the truth is the client is the customer and they pay and there's so only so much you can do and but what i think really helps is giving back i really think that having a presence in the community helps and i do think the more and more i do this the more and more sincerity um, and the more and more experience in recruitment that i have i can be like you we can do whatever you want However, this new business model of mentoring people, coaching people, onboarding them and giving them support during the six months has a much less dropout rate mm. than the old model. Now, we can do both. However, here's the, the numbers, here's the stats. And, and I think that it, it, it's an educating piece. So do, do I think... If, if I may some, yes, say something, jump in. please. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's. Um, I get so uh, emotional when 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 people talk about that. But what I want to say is, it's it's as you said, quite important to educate uh, companies about inclusive yes. recruitment, and uh, and I think it is important for companies to commit to inclusive recruitment, and 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 you know, like include all segments yeah. of society because that's the social responsibility. And um, as much as we expect from people, and I'm saying people in general, I don't want to just talk about one segment Correct. of society that I might belong to. So if we want people to integrate, we want people to reach their potential, we want people to thrive, then we need to be inclusive. We need to be, we need to see the potential, not the liability. We need to be responsible, not critical. We need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And it is quite important to ask people their names and not assign names to them. So um, there's certain things that we kind of overcome and don't see the importance of. And I think sustainability, for example, because I'm passionate about sustainability, um, I think people kind of, and, and some companies just want to tick boxes in terms of, oh, okay, now we're green. Yes, we're doing green this, washing, diversity washing. So I think, I think it is really important to be committed to what we say because uh, that's the only way forward and that's how we will thrive as as um as yeah a well said and look I'll, i want to build upon that point quickly before you can ask me a question more it's um so so true it's not about just making people look more diverse on your website it's like actually yeah. like what is really valuable it's about like how um how will people learn in the office how will they stimulate each other how uh, even like on a practical level different languages different cultures different thoughts different um design processes and of course you have um you can maybe have access to other opportunities that you'd never have before um it's it makes it's completely illogical to me if you have an office in theory of all the same people who know all the same kind of people then you're only going to win work in one area whereas like the more diverse things go there's just so many so many more benefits from it so i i fully agree and i want to echo that it's about being ethical diverse and inclusive for the right reasons and again it's understanding and i and i also i do understand if people haven't learned that yet but it is i think it's getting more and more critical for businesses you can't just keep putting it no, off you, you're not going you to survive kind of, you know it, it, that's the the end um, result is that you'll fall off a cliff yeah well, I think that these companies will keep going for some bit, but they will catch up mm -hmm. with them. And, you know, that's the thing. It's more if you because you, a lot of people, we always put things off with um, not negative intentions. It's because we're busy. I'm busy. I will do that. Just got to get this one project. Just got to get this one person with that UK regulations for this one project. Then we will do a campaign. And then it's always, always, always um what's the word? Firefighting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean by that? Like it's always, oh, I'll just do this and then do it. But actually, 
now now is the time you know it's like now is the time to do it and actually the companies that embrace these are going to get the best people 100 percent, especially in a market where now there's um not a lot this it's like it's a candidate's market so what do i mean by that there's um more people looking for hires than there are people looking for jobs so you you have to be inclusive otherwise you're going to be soon you're going to be the bottom of the peg no one wants to um you know feel like they're in a place where they're not valued or appreciated so you know that the best people will leave um marwa now do you would you like to ask me any questions at all or add any thoughts um, actually um i just want to say this has been a very interesting yeah conversation. is that good good or bad um <laughs> Yes, what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, and um, you're doing great work. Uh, just keep it up, and I hope that um, you will uh, you will find a better. Oh, not better ways. I'm sorry, I don't know how to phrase it, but I think you will be doing great work anyway. Well, in uh, well, in you what know, you're doing. you know where to find me, and I need your thoughts and feedbacks. Yeah, we already added yeah, on LinkedIn. Yeah, we go. Yeah, we go deeper, <laughs> and maybe there's some ideas in the architecture social that we can all do. Um, look, I think this is a great chat, and I hope that people, when they listen to this, they don't yes, feel right. alone. If if nothing else, that's really useful. But you can reach out to all of us, can't you? So people can find me on the architecture social. I am on LinkedIn. My name is Stephen Drew. Hannah, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, drop me an email. It's h.brook, B-R-O-O-K-E at renacy.com. And we're, we're at Renacy. So, yeah, if you if you look on the organization, Renacy in Transitions. Great. A client or candidate job seeker, drop Hannah a message or a client that would like to learn more about what Hannah and her company does, please drop her a message. And Marwa, you're going to be doing this, all these amazing landscape serving designs and massive plans and architecture. And I'm excited to see it. But where can people find you in the short term? All right. So I've got my own website, which Ooh. is Masdell, M-A-S-D-Y-L. So yeah mass uh, design your life and uh, i'm an aegis employee so i'm an urban designer at aegis and you can find me at mawa aziz amazing i will put the and i'm happy to support anyone who has any questions about how to apply for jobs how to work on the cv i've been there i understand and i'm happy to help because one last thing that i need to add it's quite important to to, do, to be doing what you love because it's part of your identity and it's hard for people to kind of have to do other jobs and end up being in a vulnerable situation because I think unfortunately it's always vulnerability is always viewed as being jobless or homeless and you really need to be so pathetic in order for people to understand that you can be at a very dangerous state so I under I, I believe there's so many people out there who want to be themselves and it's just hard for them to do so being you know in, in their own sphere not able to uh, get or land the the right yeah, well said. Well, I couldn't I couldn't say any Thanks. better. So on that note, we'll have a clap. You can reach out to Hannah, reach out to Marwa, and you can join me um, for more podcasts, more information, and get involved. I think that's the key thing. Did this topic resonate with you? Drop a comment, share it with people. If you feel like it um, resonates with someone that you know, maybe perhaps send them on the podcast and they can tap up Marwa or Hannah for more information. Thank you so much to my guests. I'm going to end the podcast in a second stay on the line guys we finish uploading this podcast and everyone in the audience thank you so much and i will see thank you, you again Stephen. soon Thanks, Stephen. take care cheers